Welcome back to the middle of culture. This is episode 14 and I am one of your hosts, Peter Jones. And I'm your other host, Eden Jones. Well, how have you been doing, Eden? We, we chatted a little bit before we started recording, but how have things been in your world? Um, well, pretty okay. Uh, I got my Retroid Pocket 2 Plus in the mail yesterday. So, I don't even know what this is. Tell me about this. Um, a Retroid Pocket 2 is a emulating device. It's like a small, like, it's about the size of like a Nintendo DS um, okay. but is basically just designed to be a, an emulation device. It runs Android, but it doesn't nice. have like super strong specs inside. So you're not running like Xbox 360 games on this thing, but you can right. run basically everything up through, you know, Sega, Saturn, and N64 and PS1 like butter. And you can also run a lot of that next generation PS2 GameCube era um, mostly I got it to give me an excuse to play the GBA versions of all of the early Final Fantasy games, because everyone says those are the best versions of those early Final Fantasies, even okay. better than the Pixel remasters that came out last year. Um, and the nice thing about doing the Retroid is thievery. Ah. I'm not pay. I'm not paying for these. I'm just downloading ROMs and throwing them on. No, this, so. of course you own all of these cartridges, don't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I definitely own GBA cartridges. I, I've never owned a GBA, but I have a GBA cart for final fantasy one and two early years, final fantasy four, final fantasy tactics, final fantasy five and final fantasy six. Definitely. Of course. I mean the, the ROMs, those are just backup. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. No yep, thievery totally. has ever occurred. <laughs> that sounds kind of cool. True. Steal I, from corporations. They deserve it. I, I myself have on order a play date that will come someday. I think I'm in wave three or four, so I'm still a few oh, months nice. out for that thing. But guess what's supposed to come tomorrow? What's that? That would be my Steam Deck. So. Oh, that's the that's the big thing right now, man. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking I would, forward to it. I would love one of those, but the problem is I don't play Final Fantasy XIV through Steam, so I wouldn't be able to play that in bed. That's why I got the Retroid, so I can play some Final Fantasy in bed, even if it's not fourteen. Well, you know, you can put Windows on a Steam Deck and then just run stuff through there. I know, so that sounds like there, an asshole. Yeah, I know. That's because I was looking at it and I'm like, ooh, you know what this would this could potentially be really cool as would be a Game Pass Ultimate toy. That's a good and, point. Know, use like XCloud and and try and do some of the streaming games because you know it's it's a smaller screen and my network at home is pretty doggone fast. So there it might work. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's supposed to come tomorrow. Unfortunately, I will not be here. So I won't get to check it out until I'm back home on sometime Friday afternoon. But well, we shall see. Maybe we'll have an update in a couple of weeks. We can see about your, your Retroid thingamajobber that I can't remember the name for. And then we can see what the Steam Deck looks like. Also, the other, you know, as long as we're talking about uh, consumerism, because oh, we, yes. we're American, we love to consume. Uh, we are very excited. My wife uh, purchased and is arriving tomorrow a countertop dishwasher. Ooh, a for us suckers! Dishwasher. For us suckers who don't have a built-in dishwasher and can't really figure out the geometry to fit one of those like hookupable 
wheel dishwashers uh, really anywhere right. in our kitchen. Yes. And it's only the two of us, so we don't need a huge dishwasher. So sure. we found a countertop one that even has built-in water storage, so you don't have to hook it up to the faucet the whole time that it's running, which is one Ooh. of the problems with those like portable ones is they hook up to the faucet, and then you can't use your sink for three hours. Right. But this one has a built-in reservoir, and so you just hook up the hose to drain down into the sink, and then you turn it on. And I, we are cool. fairly certain that it will fit basically all of the dishes that we use in one day. So you just load it up and press start at the end of the day and wake up to nice, clean dishes. We'll see. We'll see. That it is might a beautiful be, thing. It might be a $400 mistake, but uh, it's okay. You it's know. that dink life. We can spend you it know, and if it's terrible. It is what it is. Dishwashers are a beautiful thing. We were without for a number of months back in, I think it was 2020. We had some issues where... All of a sudden, we found out that the dishwasher we had in place was leaking under the tile. and Oh, no. We had to have a restoration place come. Good news was is it hadn't done any damage to the subflooring, so we just had to oh, that's good. tear out the old one. Did not need to redo the subflooring. Uh, had to get some extra tiles to replace the ones they'd had to break and everything getting out. But then the hassle came <clears throat> in getting a new dishwasher. I don't know how appliances are now, but at the time we went to order this thing, end of 2020, we had to wait like three months for it to come. And yeah, I've heard that for some things it is still that way. Yeah. We ended up getting, we, we had a very noisy dishwasher. And so we got a new one that like, it's nice because it's quiet enough that I sometimes have to go over to it and be like, oh, okay, it is on. Um so, so that's been nice. We we were fans of having it back, though it wasn't a bad thing to make uh, the boys, especially, uh, you know, wash dishes every time we dirty dishes for sure. a number of months. But it was also nice to get it back. So, well, we have been we have been living the dishwasher free life for eight years at this point. So, that's, we are that's a long time. That's much this, more than this like house three is, months. This house has never had a dishwasher, and uh, we bought it in 2014, and so we've been living here eight years, and wow. it's been fine, but then Cassie was like, I saw this on Instagram Reels, and I thought to myself, I think I want this. <laughs> so we're getting well, it. That's excellent. I hope that it works out well for you. I hope that it uh, it does what you're hoping it will. Me too. Well, before we jump into our main topic, anything else that you wanted to uh, to mention? One thing I'll throw out there, and I know I shared this with you, but uh, man, the album Final Light, it's a collaboration between Johannes Persson, the lead singer and uh, one of the guitarists for Cult of Luna, who uh, listeners of the pod would know that uh, Eden and I have both previously discussed Cult of Luna and some of their works, and I'm a huge fan. And then uh, Perturbator, who is kind of a French electronic dark wave slash synth wave artist. And I think it was supposed to be back in 2020 or I think it was actually 2019 when they initially did this collaboration at Roadburn Festival. And then it's taken a little while for them to, you know, because of, oh, things like a global pandemic, uh, get together and release an album. And uh, I shared it with you. It has been uh, a, an earworm for me. It's been mostly what I've been listening to the last two weeks since it came out. Uh, what did you think about it? Oh, it's very good. It's very, very good. I've been a Perturbator years for, or fan for years. Um, 
probably seven or eight years at this point. I got into them after I really got into Carpenter Brute, who still remains my favorite uh, dark wave artist, but Perturbator is a close second. Um, and so I was really excited to hear it. It's a really interesting fusion. Um, I think that it is one thing. I understand why it has the tempo that it has because half of the group is cult of luna based and they obviously are a very slow very you know sludge metal drone metal like that very ponderous feel uh but i do kind of miss the the peppier uh faster beats that perturbator did on there on his earlier work but i still think it's a very solid album it's it, it i i wouldn't be surprised if it ends up in my top 10 um and if not it will have just barely been edged out because i think it's really solid yeah, I think the same for me. I, I will be shocked if we're not talking about it again at the end of the year, uh, at least on my list. And it sounds like, again, I think we'll both have things to say about it. So just wanted yeah. to throw that out there. I, I have enjoyed it a lot. It's probably been, uh, you know, one of the things that has uh, musical uh, albums that has drawn me in the most this year. Uh, and so I thought it was worth mentioning. But let's go ahead and jump in because the Summer of X continues. And today we have the great and distinct pleasure of talking about X-Men The Last Stand. That's right. It's that brilliant, brilliant movie from 2006 directed by uh, Brett Ratner. And before we jump in and go full spoilers, because again, the statute of limitations on this has long expired. Eden, what were your initial thoughts? Um, I mean, it's terrible. It's a bad movie, but <laughs> it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And that's maybe even more disappointing Yes, because it's mostly blandly bad. It's not bad enough to be in. This is a thing I wrote down in my notes. It's not so bad. It's good. But it's also not so bad. It's terrible, which is another mm-hmm. thing entirely that I wonder if we'll get to with our next film x-men origins wolverine that one might be in so bad it's terrible mode but it's been a long time since i've seen it this was mostly just blandly bad it was just like okay that was how i felt while i was watching it yeah i'm right there with you um you know i loaded it up on my apple tv and you go to the main page to start playing it and it has a whole bunch of stuff across the top including it will have the rating from rotten tomatoes And I think this one had a somewhat generous 53% or something like that. But, you know, when it was over, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's probably about where it is. One of the podcasts I listen to, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, um, but but it's the Flop House. Oh, yeah. The Flop House is is a lot of fun. I've been a listener of theirs on and off. so, So they have their rating system where is this a good, bad movie? Is this a bad, bad movie or is this a movie you kind of liked? And I was thinking about this and I'm like, it doesn't fit any of those. Cause like you said, it's not a good, bad movie and that it's bad in so many ways that you're like, this is enjoyable to watch because it's hilarious that something like this actually got made. It's not that. And it's not a bad, bad movie. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is a steaming pile of dookie. How did this ever get made? But at the same time, I didn't really like it. I wasn't offended by it because it was you know so bad but i was just kind of like eh you know yeah i mean it's a mess of a movie there are so many things i was glancing through the notes i took 
And there are so many different times where I wrote down, this is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. Uh But again, not to the point where it was enjoyably dumb, but also not all the way in that like irredeemable sort of, it's just a mess. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's, I think that's where I ended up as well. It's just, it just has a lot going on and nothing going on at the same time. Yeah. That's how I felt like it felt like a wheel spin movie, even though half the cast from the other movies died, it felt like it was just a wheel spin. Yeah. Well, let's, I'm going to go ahead and give us a quick sort of summary. And then why don't we just go ahead and jump into uh, maybe to be nice to the movie. Let's talk first about what worked and then let's spend some time talking about what didn't work. So for sure. The, the movie kicks off and it goes back to 1986 and you've got uh, Professor X and Magneto going to meet Jean Grey as a child. They kind of invite her to come to the mansion. And again, I already have some issues with this, which we'll talk about in the what didn't what worked and what didn't work section. Then we jump and we see uh, some kid who's like cutting and like filing off wings and his dad happens to find him. Fast forward to the present time. We've got a company. Uh, well, like no, pharmac- not the present time. The the somewhat close future or something like that. Or not too, dis- <laughs> not too distant future. That's what it was. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for the not too distant future. And it does start off with this big battle that I don't remember if it was me remembering this or if it was just there was enough that looked hokey about this that I was like, oh, this is clearly a danger room scenario. Oh yeah. Immediately, immediately you knew it was the danger room. Yeah. I never once believed that this was actually happening and I think we were supposed to, but anyway, like I say, we'll kind of hit the big points. We find out that Worthington labs, the pharmaceutical company started by this dude who saw his son trying to like cut off his wings and discovered he was a mutant. They've created a cure for the mutations. It will, uh, an inoculation that will basically suppress the X gene and offer this cure to anyone who wants it. It's coming from a young mutant named Jimmy who has the ability to nullify mutations when you get close to him. Some are interested in the cure. Some don't want it. Magneto puts together the brotherhood of mutants to try and oppose the cure, telling them that you know, and the line he is, is that they're going to force this on us, you know? And, and of course they come out and they're like, oh, this is voluntary. This is just, if you want, but Magneto's like, they're going to force this on us. We got to fight this. In the meantime, Mystique has been captured. She is being transported. Magneto comes and rescues her. She tries to save Magneto. She gets shot with the uh, cure darts and turns into a regular person. And Magneto, like the cold SOB, he is just turns around and leaves her takes off. In the meantime, we've got Scott Summers being uh, so uh, distraught about the death of Jean from the previous movie that he goes back up to Alkali Lake, where she comes up out of the water with real long hair, looking a little different than she did when we last saw her. She gives him a kiss and then boom, he's toast. Uh, Professor X can tell something's wrong, sends Logan and Storm up there, and they just find a bunch of mist that Storm blows away, and then just all sorts of things telekinetically floating around, including Cyclops' glasses, and then there's Jean unconscious. Take her back to the mansion, whole big scene with Xavier explaining what's going on. 
We find out about the Phoenix. We'll talk about this more. I guarantee it. All of a sudden, Jean Grey wakes up. She kind of goes crazy, knocks out Logan, escapes the, uh, the mansion. Um, Magneto kind of, he, one of the people he's picked up along the way, she can sense powerful mutants and this person senses a class five mutant and he kind of knows who it is. So they go and they get her. Um, he arrives at the same time as Charles at her home where the movie started and in the midst of all this, Gene slash the Phoenix gets pissed off, elevates the whole house telekinetically, is smashing people against the ceiling, lifts Charles up out of his, uh, his wheelchair, and then basically vaporizes him. And uh, then, you know, boom, house falls down. She leaves with Magneto. Mystique pissed off, understandably, that uh, Magneto just left her for nothing on the, bed in the, on the floor of the, the trailer. She basically gives up uh, the location of the Brotherhood. Uh, the um, FBI try and surround it. However, it's all just copies of Multiple Man. They've gone to Storm Alcatraz because that's where, you know, they, this, this pharmaceutical company, they set up shop in Alcatraz. That's where they're making because the Because why wouldn't you? Because they specifically say it's the safest place because it's Alcatraz, which whatever. Um, there's a big fight with bad guys and good guys there. And most of it, Jean's just kind of standing there. Kitty pride manages to uh, go through the walls until she can get this kid, Jimmy rescuing him from a version of the juggernaut, uh, who'd been sent to kill him. Then Magneto in a classic ruse gets, uh, distracted by Logan while Hank McCoy, AKA, um, what beast? That's what his mutant name is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he stabs Magneto with a handful of the cure darts that powers down Magneto. And then all of a sudden Jean decides it's time to go crazy. And she just starts destroying anyone and everything. Logan realizing that he's got his adamantium indestructible skeleton and the healing factor is the only one who can get close enough. He walks up to her sort of being vaporized and healing at the same time. All of a sudden, Jean comes through the Phoenix, begs him to save her, and so he then stabs her with his claws, kills her, and then, boom, fast forward to the end. We're at the school. Storm's in charge. Uh, Hank McCoy's going to be the mutant ambassador to the United Nations. Rogue got the cure, so she and Iceman Bobby can now actually hold hands. He's not sure how he feels about it. And then the last scene, we've got Magneto. Well, not the last scene, the last pre-credit scene. We've got Magneto sitting at a chessboard. Seems to be normal, but he pushes. He points towards one of the metal chess pieces and makes it wiggle. And then, boom, we've got credits. And now, hearkening back to a scene earlier, we have a guy who basically was a functioning body, but no brain uh, wakes up. And in Charles's voice, says hello Moira to Moira McTaggart who had been uh, helping out and then boom the movie's over so what did you think I what completely worked? I completely forgot that there was a, a post credit sequence in this movie I just turned it off <laughs> <laughs> oh no I, I remembered that it was there 
because I remembered it earlier when they set it up where they're like, what are the ethics of this like uh, empty exactly. body? And then I was like, oh yeah, he like body swaps with that shit. And then I'd forgotten by the end because as soon as the credits rolled, I closed it and I was like, well, okay. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's enough. All right. So let's talk about what worked. What did you think worked? Um, the beast casting is very good. Yep. I agree. Uh, Kelsey Grammer as the Beast is great. He has some very funny lines. The practical effects are largely very good, um, once again. Uh, and they didn't go over the top with weird uh, scars and or scales. So he's just a hairy blue guy, and he looks great. Yeah. And I know does. I've seen I've seen what Nicholas, what's his name, Hooth? I can't remember his last name. Looks like in the later ones, he looks terrible. How did they get worse at this? I think it was that good it's from the start. one of those transitions of too much CGI, not enough practical. Well, there you go. Because you can tell that's Kelsey Grammer in a silly looking bodysuit and it works. Um, yeah, so that's good. It totally does. Um, as always, Magneto was right. As I've said on the last two episodes, Magneto was right because he's <laughs> like, they're going to weaponize this. And what did they immediately do? Make they literally plastic make guns out of it. Plastic make guns. Plastic guns. So not even Magneto can stop it with weaponized cure. So like he was right. It, does he again follow in the tradition of just about every Marvel villain in both the MCU and out of it in the last 20 years of being right, but too much, obviously, but he's also right. Yep. Um, agreed. Uh, moving the golden gate bridge to be able to get onto Alcatraz. Pretty baller move. Not going to lie there. Yeah, but it looks stupid. It looks stupid and pointless, but it's a cool idea of Magneto being like, <laughs> yes, I'm strong enough to lift the entire Golden Gate Bridge and divert it to Alcatraz. I don't think those two are geographically that close to one another. I could be wrong. I don't think the geography works out, but I guess it does in the X-Men world. Uh, but I, I did mean, write down, oh, moving the bridge. What a dumb, stupid, fun idea. <laughs> and see, I put it that one. I was like, Why? It was cool to watch, but I'm like, that was kind of pointless. I mean, there's a brief comment with, I don't remember which of the mutants is maybe it's juggernaut or somebody who's like, Oh, I can't swim or something like that. And then I'm like, okay, well, what you, I mean, I understand the uh, showmanship and I appreciate the showmanship behind moving this whole big segment of the bridge, but also uh, Again, one of the many things that just strained, I wanted to say strained credulity, but obviously you've already had to kind of put that all aside for these kinds of movies in general, but that even within this world made me go, eh, that's not working for me. If we think back to previous movies, that would have left Magneto drained and not able to participate in the fight. A hundred percent. And so that was, I think, where I was like, well, that was dumb. And then the other part that just didn't work for me in that, and I realized I've jumped into the what didn't work. Uh, but, but because you mentioned this, it goes from like daytime, we're moving the bridge, we land the bridge <laughs> on Alcatraz Island, and it is now immediately pitch black. Like it is not yeah. just dusk. It yeah. is not suns. It is black. Now, I and don't like, know about San Francisco, but I know where I live 
we go from sun going down to the time where it's that dark. We're talking hours. Yeah, I was going to say, I know it's faster than where you live because you live in the mountains. Um, I live out in the hilly plains, and it is much faster than Utah, Idaho, but still takes a while. And I have spent enough time on the coast in my days to know that it still takes time. It is not like a light switch. No, but it felt like it. So okay. what did you think what worked else in this worked? movie? Oh, okay. I, that's, it. Um, that's, that's it for me. Oh, Kitty Pride's casting. Elliot Page does great work. Yep, she's good. Um, I, again, Wolverine is pretty good. I mean, he's, for me, I mean, one of the main reasons you're going to watch Jackman's, these movies. Jackman's great. The scene where he, like, where they're, you know they're in the danger room, and he's still trying to light his cigar off the top of a burning car, and you're like, <laughs> yes. dang- what are you doing, bro? It might look real. This is still the danger room, bro. No, your yeah. cigar is not going to light from this. He, Jackman's bringing it. Jackman always brings it. He does. Um, I, I'm going to say this part with a caveat, and that is over the course of these movies, I got to the end and I thought I would have liked more from Bobby Drake because I think that the guy who plays him, and I have no idea who it is, but I think Quantum he does a pretty guy. decent job. And I actually, at the end of this movie, I was like, you know what? I would have liked more from him. I would have liked them sure. to have written him better because I thought he was actually good. If they'd have given him good material to work with, I think he actually could have been a standout, a standout character. Um, For sure. And like, I think that Bobby Drake is a really interesting character um, and the ways in which his he the ways in which he keeps getting stronger whenever he needs to get stronger is pretty cool and you see that even in this movie when he's fighting with pyro and then he goes to full ice mode which is the first time we've seen full ice mode um that's cool and like he's a he is one of those you know in in the comics he's one of the omega level mutants like he is one of the strongest mutants on the planet and uh you just don't get that from these movies but i think you could have yeah, I think you could have as well. So uh, I think that the scene at Jean's house when she basically is just disintegrating Charles is pretty brutal. And there are things about that scene that I liked. I thought that in some ways that scene worked in other ways it didn't, but it was one of the standout scenes to me uh, from the film. I mean, who doesn't love to watch suburbia get destroyed? I'm in for that any day of the week. <laughs> Um, so the rest of what I have is all the stuff that didn't work. So I'm going to start, I'll throw something out and then we'll just kind of bounce back and forth. Sounds uh, good. I'm, I'm going to start right at the very beginning. The scene with Jean gray as a child and all of a sudden her, first of all, being kind of pissy and lifting up all of the cars in the neighborhood and then dropping them down. That amount of telekinesis is so far above and beyond what we had seen from her in the previous two movies. Now, Mm -hmm. could it be that that's because this is pre Charles screwing around with her brain? Like he openly admits to doing and being yet again, another example of being an awful person. Uh, Maybe that's what they're trying to convey to us, but just right out of the gate, I'm like, well, this is mm, again, you know, 
you kind of have to think about, and, and one of the podcasts that I listen to that talks about the MCU stuff, they go on about power levels a lot. And I think that you have to be really careful in superhero movies that you're consistent with the power levels or that at least you've got logical and coherent explanations within universe to describe changes in a character's power levels. And I did not feel that they did the work necessary in this movie for that to have occurred. So that was the first thing that that didn't work for me. And I think that you're right that that's across the board. Jean is stronger than she's ever been before. Magneto is stronger than he's ever been before. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wolverine's stronger than he ever has been before. I mean, we got shot in the head. He was knocked out cold for like three minutes in the last movie. And now he's like literally disintegrating and still being able to walk up the hill and like have the heartfelt goodbye with his pointless love interest. Like everybody's. The power of love now. That's what's playing in my head. It was the power of love. I'm Whatever. kidding, of course. I'm kidding. But at least, like like we just were talking about, at least there was a reason why Bobby suddenly got stronger. Why? Yeah. Where was everybody else's? Where was everybody else's secondary mutation like that? Come on. Yeah. So, what was something the aging for you? The the aging tech in that scene does look really good, though. They do genuinely look twenty years younger. It did, and I wrote that down in my notes. I said the de aging looks pretty good. I mean, it looks better than de aging we've had in more recent movies. So give them credit. for Well, that. let's be honest; they're so lazy these days when it comes to CGI. <laughs> I don't know the the pinnacle of special effects was 1993's Jurassic Park, and everything since has looked worse somehow. I don't understand it. <laughs> well, and also. You know, maybe not Ian McKellen, but Patrick Stewart is such an amazingly just well-crafted human being that you didn't really have to, you know, I mean, even in 2006, he looked pretty damn good. You didn't have to do that much to make him, you know, to to make him look that much younger, just smooth out a few little wrinkles here and there. But that man has aged like, like a fine wine. I say that, like but McKellen it happens to a fine wine, but you know, I don't, they, they get less sweet. That's basically <laughs> what happens. The flavors get stronger. They get less sweet. I'm, I'm not a big wine drinker, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no McKellen. It's a big difference. You see, yeah, it's it a far is. bigger change with him because he's got darker colored hair and he does have considerable more wrinkles than, uh, than uh, Patrick Stewart does at that point in their lives. Um, But they did a really good job with that. Yeah, definitely. So what was something that didn't work for you? Um, Trying to up Halle Berry as such a main character after two movies of nothing really felt like they were doing the contracts for movie three and she was like, you did me dirty twice. You can't do me dirty a third time. And they do do her dirty a third time, but in a very different way than they did in the other two. But they really try to like, and you know, I get where they're coming from. In the 80s, Storm stepped up and became the leader of the X-Men when right. Cyclops and Marvel Girl and Iceman went off to make X-Factor. They were a different team entirely. So for, you know, Storm has been an erstwhile leader of the X-Men on and off uh, for decades in the comics, but they didn't build that groundwork. And then so suddenly she's so central to keeping this team together and, and keeping the school running. It was just like, you didn't, you didn't set this up in a way that this payoff means anything. Yeah. 
Agree. And, you know, I was a little bothered by, it was just almost too on the nose, kind of the first big scene where Charles is talking to the students. The announcement for the cure is, is all of a sudden hitting and he sees all these storm clouds forming and he goes outside and he's just like, Oh, you know, something on your mind. It was just a little too on the nose uh, in terms of her being grumpy. And we have a whole bunch of storm clouds that appear like, come on, incredible yourself so. a little bit better. Um, I'm going to say this again, Scott, they just, they never Nothing. ever knew what to do with his character and, Nothing. And, and I guess I didn't realize this until I was actually reading in Wikipedia. James Marsden had actually basically left the show, the movie, to go work on Superman Returns, which is why Brian Singer didn't direct this because that's what he was working on as well. And that's a so, good, I forgot that he was Lois Lane's husband. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that that's why Superman he's... Movie. Uh, he's such a... Just, he just didn't do anything for me. Um. But, you know, again, his character just never worked for me in any of the movies and even less so here. He's supposed to be sort of, you know, we've got Charles who's who's kind of the guy behind this, but we're supposed to be looking at Cyclops as the leader of the X-Men. And he's the guy who's, you know, taking him on missions and keeping everything together. And, man, he can't keep anything together. I mean, this guy's just no, he kind really of a can't. mess. We don't know how long in between the end of this movie or the end of the of X2 and the beginning of this one, how much time is supposed to have passed. And so maybe I'm being unfair, but the way he's still just like incredibly just moping and, and doing nothing. I mean, long enough for Jean's hair to go from a stylish uh, pixie cut to halfway down her back. <laughs> it's so, true. I mean, her hair grew a lot. And so, that so that's a been, long time. That's, that's at least that's a year years. or two's worth of growth. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I mean, everybody else seems to be over it enough that I'm like, he should have at this point, in my opinion, at least reached some sort of level of, okay, I have other responsibilities here. Let me step up and take care of that. Yeah. I honestly think that it was just he was out of the movie and they had to write him out as quick as possible. Yeah, makes sense. So, what else? What did uh, what else did uh, work for you? Horny camera choices. <laughs> this is so clear. Again, this is not Brian Singer is not directing this one. Brett Ratner is directing this one, and he is a director that enjoys the female form and likes to show you the things that he likes about the female form on the screen. And so there were some real lascivious camera choices that were made that I was just like, you wouldn't have gotten that in a Brian Singer film. Yeah. Yep. And like, again, point. as always screw Brian Singer, he's terrible human being, throw him into the sun. But like, really Brett, really Brett. Yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing I'll say, and this is me trying to be too generous, he's not as bad as Michael Bay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm just sort of teasing. I just, 
Whenever you talk about creepy camera shots, the first director who comes to my mind is Michael Bay. You think you think of oh, Megan man. Fox on the motorcycle in in Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen and you're like, "What the hell, Michael Bay?" I don't know, man. This is a child. I think it might be worse in in Transformers 3. Oh, the way that Sam Witwicky's girlfriend is like ogled by the camera cuz she's oh, a literal yeah. model. Mm, oh, yes. Yeah. So uncomfortable Gross. and so bad. So, so bad. Um, so I don't know. The, the, it's just an incoherent film. Like, well, it is. It's, and, and it's a mess and it doesn't, it, the pieces don't fit well together. Um, the, the cure, whether or not the cure even works is left up to, you know, uh, debate, uh, there's so many pointless Easter eggs in it, like the Secretary of Defense being named Trask, and you're like, ooh, Boulevard Trask. Yeah. Like, there's so many things like that that you're like, this doesn't need, none of this needed to be here. Why did every, you know, when when they attack the island, why did it look like a toku quarry? Like, I felt like I was watching Common Rider or something, and they're <laughs> using the same quarry that they use for every single Japanese tokusatsu show to shoot in, like what was this set? Is this the cheapest set that you could possibly make? Yeah, and uh, definitely did not look like Alcatraz Island. No. And, uh, why, uh, you know, there's a ton of like nameless mook mutants. Why were every one of their powers just like acrobats? Like mm -hmm. I you couldn't jump. get a little, you couldn't get a little more creative with your foot soldier people. Like take, take 30 more seconds and give them some interesting powers besides toad, but no tongue, which is what yeah. the vast majority of them were like, what? Well, and I don't know. you know, that scene comes, it, it, it kind of makes me think, you know, you mentioned, yes, Magneto's right. He just goes about it the wrong way. But I think that scene also clearly demonstrates that he's kind of a piece of crap too. Oh, because I'm not he saying he's a good says, guy. Well, no, but, but I mean, like he literally says, you know, he, he espouses to, I want to unite the mutants. I want us to come together. We are superior. Let's, you know, strengthen numbers, this sort of thing. And then literally says, no, we're not, you know, he's got his little handpicked crew who are the ones who we've seen more through the movie. Nope. Hold back. Let these chums, you know, chumps go and get, uh, let, get shot. Let get the and, pawns go first is what he says. Yep. Let the pawns go first. Which again, continues the chess motif that we have seen with him throughout all of these films, um, which again is belied by what happens at the end, but still it's pretty gross. Yeah. Speaking of gross, let's talk about Charles. We've the brought it up Just multiple times. The absolute scum of the earth charles xavier is in this trilogy and this yes. movie even more than the other two he is utterly unlikable in every scene he's so cruel and prickly and mean and like whenever anyone questions him especially like the scenes between him and wolverine where wolverine is like yo this is messed up and he's like i did what was right and it's yeah. like bro chill and then he dies and wolverine is all torn up and i just want to be like 
bro, this is a dude who all I have seen him in your interactions on screen belittle you, uh, lie to you, hide your past from you, and treat you like dirt. Why do you care that this grumpy old bald man died? Right. I mean, one of the things that so many things about him in not just this movie, but as we've talked about in the previous, but one of the things that really bothered me in this movie, we get the scene where he's explaining to Logan about Gene. And and we're going to talk about this next. Cause this is another thing that just, it doesn't work for me. It's messy. It's stupid. It's Why they bad. made this change. I don't it's understand. It's real bad. But so he comes and he says, Oh, basically Gene has two personalities. There's Gene. And then there's the Phoenix. And the Phoenix just wants pleasure and passion and, you know, basically more all kind horny, of the animalistic the side of, of her. And then we've got Jean and I had to make sure so that her powers didn't get out of control. Basically I stuck my fingers in her brain and rearranged things and like altered who this person is because I felt that it was necessary. And that's where yeah. Logan's like, dude, that's messed up. You shouldn't just get to like play God with people's brains. But Charles is like, totally. Yeah, I can because I can. And then, and the thesis leaves. of the film is that he was right. Yeah, exactly. But then he leaves and Logan's in there just, you know, being the dutiful doting schmuck who he is when anything has to do with Jean gray, which again, relationship never bought. They never sold it. It never worked for me, Mm-mm. but he's standing there waiting. She wakes up. And all of a sudden, yeah, she's like super horny and is going after Logan. And all of a sudden he just says like, well, what about Scott? What did you do to Scott? What happened to Scott? Yeah. She basically starts sexually assaulting him and he is like, I'm not okay with this. And she's like, I don't give a shit what you think. I'm okay uh with it. And it's like, don't sexually assault the man, Jean Grey. And then she throws him, knocks him out. He, and then she leaves. Well, Charles first comes in. he's like, first he's like, what happens with Scott? And then she's like, reverts to Jean Grey and she's like, oh, I killed Scott. And then he's like, well, why the hell did you do that? And she's like, you got to kill me. And he's like, I'm not going to kill you. And then she's like, well, then I'm going to be evil. And then she drives away. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but so my question is this, when Charles comes down, they find Wolverine who's been laid out cold by Jean What's the first thing Charles does? He starts blaming this on Wolverine. Uh Uh-huh. Like, no, you're the one who, this this is is your problem, Charles. This is literally your fault. You are the one who created this problem. He did nothing except get near, you know, sexually assaulted by her and then blasted across the freaking room. And, And the way Charles is such a jackass to Wolverine in this scene. I just couldn't understand it. Like, where is this coming from? I mean, all it did truly was make me go, you know what? I am going to be totally okay when you get blasted to atoms. I really am. I'm going to be okay when Charles gets vaporized because he deserves it because he sucks. I'm cool with it. You're a bad guy. Yeah, he is. And time and time again, I mean, we go back to, Earlier on, he's talking to the students and he tells them about this dude who has like no higher brain functions, but his body's totally fine. So just, okay, I'm going to be a little bit of a pedant here. 
if his brain stem is working okay, they shouldn't need to support him quite as much as they do, but whatever. Leave that all alone. <laughs> he brings up the ethics. Oh, would it be ethical to then transport your brain into this other person? L- setting up the whole idea that no, this would not be right. And then he freaking goes and does it and is totally okay yeah. with it. He's like, oh, hello, Myra. And I'm like, you hypocritical SOB. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that kills me the most about this. We watch him get atomized. We see him wake up in the extremely hirsute body in uh, Ireland or wherever the hell Moira McTaggart is. And then by Days of Future Past, it's him again. He's alive yes. again. And by Logan, he's alive again as as Patrick Stewart, not as her suit man. ¿Qué pasó? ¿Cómo es posible que esto pasó? I do not understand. <laughs> the interior... The the interior logic of the film has somehow fallen apart here. Well, and I think part of the problem is X-Men First Class got made as a reboot. And then when Days of Future Past happened, different writer, different director, different team, that was where they decided to try and retcon these two X-Men universes into one unified universe. Sure. And so I think that's where you get a lot of the messiness, but yes, totally doesn't work and sets things up in such a way that you're like, <laughs> I mean, um, um, I have an answer for you. I have an answer okay. for you. According Perfect. to the Wikipedia page for Charles Xavier film character on the DVD commentary, it is revealed that the body on Muir Island is someone named P Xavier. One of the writers noted that this character is Xavier's twin brother who was born brain dead due to professor X's amount of power. Since P Xavier was born brain dead and stuck in a coma for his whole life, Charles Xavier can't walk in his brother's body and uses his old wheelchair. Xavier's return is an example of a comic book death, which refers to comic book characters getting killed off, but not staying dead permanently, which has happened to Charles Charles Xavier in the comics as well. This scene was not in the script, but secretly added during filming. So there's your answer. It is his twin brother. So that's why when he comes back, he's still paralyzed and looks the same. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. (laughs) What? And not even in a fun way. It's not even doesn't make sense in a fun way. Because if you're trying to tell me he can't walk because he jumped into a body that's never walked, well, then why can he use his arms just fine? Because if he can't, if he's never used his legs, then he's never used his arms either. Yeah, because if this, yeah, because if this body has been brain dead its whole life, a there's no world where they keep a brain dead body alive for sixty plus years. No, and also there's B, no world in which that body is uh, as functional. Normal. Well, as, yeah. as normal sized with actual muscles and things like that, because yeah. no, no, that's not happening because it never would have developed. Just like you're saying, it never would have developed. Yeah. Those muscles would have been completely atrophied. They would have been just like Laffy Taffy. It wouldn't have been muscle. Wow. That's just anyway. So there's our answer. P Xavier's body. The explanation actually, in my opinion, makes the scene worse. Agreed. Okay, well, let's talk about the glaring bright orange bird in the room, and that is the phoenix. You're the one with the um, much more extensive comic book background. So why don't you start? Tell us all the reasons why the idea of the phoenix in this movie is such a steaming pile of shite. I mean, 
so the phoenix is Jean Grey's horny like that's all you can come up with as to a reason why she's so much more powerful is that is Jean Grey unchained like it doesn't make sense in the comics the phoenix is a uh extra dimensional entity in in the marvel universe there are certain entities that are like extra dimensional and live at such a level that they're not really like on the same level with regular sapient beings and when they come into conflict with those regular sapient beings it's when you get some really crazy stuff happening like say galactus in theory galactus is supposed to and this is all stuff that's been explained in the comics the reason why galactus eats everything is when the eighth universe started things went wrong and the life bringer was turned into the world eater galactus is supposed to be a life bringer who creates planets instead of a creature that eats planets um but he is one of those there's always a life bringer every time the universe is restarted and so a type of galactus type creature is there there is always a phoenix a form of rebirth that often presages the end of an old universe and the beginning of a new universe um and so that's what you get with the phoenix force it is you know this uh supernatural force this otherworldly force an immortal and immutable manifestation of the universal force of life and passion that Jean gray has been the host of when they went to space but a lot of other people have also been the host of rachel summers has been the host of uh of the phoenix that's gene and scott's kid from a different timeline from the days of future past timeline um hope summers which is a different gene and look gene and scott have had a lot of kids who have been time displaced and then come back from the future they've got rachel (laughs) they've got they've got cable cable's one of their kids who's been time displaced and brought back to the from the future hope summers is one of their kids who's been time displaced and brought back from the future strife is one of their kids who's come back from the future um so those two have way too many kids that they then get sent to the future and weird dystopian timelines and then come back. Um, and many of them then become hosts to the Phoenix power, like hope summers, like Rachel summers, uh, like in, uh, Avengers versus X-Men, five of the X-Men split up the power. So you've got Cyclops, Namor, because why not Namor, uh, Emma Frost, uh, Colossus and magic, all become parts of the phoenix force and then eventually cyclops goes crazy and collects all the phoenix force and that's when he kills charles xavier um but that's like this is what the phoenix force is it's this weird power that comes from out from outer space possesses some people things go poorly and then it goes away again it's not like some weird alter ego no like he literally says that it's a split personality yeah it's dumb it's real dumb. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. And it, like you said, the idea that we're supposed to understand, believe, accept whatever you want, that the only reason this personality is so much more powerful is basically because they don't have the constraints of social mores on them. So they can just do whatever they want. I, it just, look, I am not going to say, that a movie we're going to watch later, Dark Phoenix, is a good movie because it is a bad movie. And it is probably worse than this movie. 
But if I remember correctly, at least the Phoenix Force comes from an outer space encounter that Jean Grey has with this well, entity. Well, that's good. So at least they got that part of it. But this just, it's stupid. It feels lazy. And just, I don't know. It, it bothered me. And I don't even really know the comics that well. But nothing about this worked. Just yeah, nothing about the character worked. It, it was a mess. It was a mess couple other things that just bother me that I want to get off my chest since this is the airing of grievances here. Rogue. Why did they, they ever did my even girl put so her dirty in these movies? She they is did my such girl so a dirty. nothing burger. She is such a waste of time and of space and they do nothing with her. I mean, they I understand. Did. Yes. In the first one, she was important because Magneto's going to transfer his powers to her, but still she feels completely useless. And in this movie, even more so. Well, she didn't like, do anything in this movie except for get cured. No, we're supposed to feel bad for her when Bobby Drake and Kitty pride go out and go ice skating because he can freeze over the pond or, or the fountain and they can go do that. And she's watching on. And I think we're supposed to feel some sort of betrayal, but I'll be honest, Bobby Drake really didn't do anything. In my opinion, I didn't feel like he ever crossed any line. He was out there with no. a fellow student helping somebody out. He doesn't even like get cozy in with, with her or anything. He holds her hand no. because of freaking ice skating. And, but, but I'm like, ah, uh, She's just, or like at the funeral, he reaches uh, over and holds her hand while he's still holding Rogue's hand. Still holding her hand. These are clearly just friends. And yeah, there's a couple lingering shots where maybe Kitty is feeling some things towards Bobby, but it never comes to any sort of thing. And Bobby clear, like it is never implied that Bobby feels any sort of thing towards her besides friendship and kindness and camaraderie. Like human, you know, basic human decency towards decency. this person that he is close to because they're freaking students. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just, and I don't know. And that that's like her impetus to go and get the cure so that now she can touch him. And, you know, she comes back and he literally says to her, he's like, I did not ask for this. Yeah. You know, like, I did not ask you to do this. Excuse me for being a little blue here, but rogue, there are fetish websites you can find a latex. You could, you could do plenty of touching without a skin to skin connection, girl. You, you, there just, is, uh, there is a solution here that you could have found that was not immutably change my genetic code forever. So I could get a kiss from my boyfriend. What? Yeah. And it's just, it just I mean, we talked about this. We talked about this in other movie or other podcasts where we we're talking about these films, but just like, as a person who grew up watching the X-Men cartoon, which is not good. I, you know, I tried to revisit it on Disney plus it's garbage. It's not a good show, (laughs) but like, I liked it when I was a kid. And did I have a huge crush on rogue? You bet I did. She was hot and she had big eighties hair and talked in a sexy Southern accent. What's not to love about that. And you're like, she's big and she's strong and she's cool. And then they do this with her in these movies. Yeah, betrayal so betrayal of the millennial youth who had a crush on rogue from the 90s cartoon yep completely wasted her character and the fact that they felt like they needed to keep bringing her back in every movie after the first where at least she was sort of part of the plot but in the next two oh just so nothing just so useless so useless nothing question for you 
Why yes. do villains like stupid lairs? So that's Magneto's, a good question. Magneto's sitting there and he's got his chair in this big room. That's got these weird angular walls of metal where it looks like basically you took a piece of paper, you crumpled it up and then you unfolded it. And that's what it looks like. And I saw this and it immediately brought to mind one of the final scenes in the last episode of Obi-Wan where you've got Vader sitting in Mustafar. And I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, this is stupid. Why do you have a throne room where there's nothing else in there? There's literally you sitting in this massive room. Like it's just a stupid lair. Why do bad guys like stupid lairs or why do they, why do movies make it so bad guys have stupid lairs? I thought Magneto's was stupid and it made me think what of Mustafar, which was stupid. What is the appeal of a throne guys to be worshiped by your citizenry, by your, you know, subjects. And if your subjects aren't there, then what is the point of a throne? Bingo. Anyway, I mean, final thing. Go ahead. Yeah, no, at, at least, I don't know. I haven't seen Obi-Wan. Hopefully Darth Vader's was also like a cure me throne. Like, the one in Empire Strikes Back, the cool no. geodesic dome that he sits in, which no, is a place where he can take scene. his... Oh, God. It, there's another scene in, I don't remember if it was episode three or four, where Obi-Wan gets injured and he has to get dunked in a back-to-tank. And it does this back and forth where Obi-Wan's in the back-to-tank, but then Vader is de-roboticized with missing his arms and legs, and he's in a back-to-tank and... So no, this throne in Obi-Wan, literally, it's just him sitting on a big fancy throne with a little hologram screen for the emperor to tell him what to do and what not to do. Dumb. Final thing that really, really bothered me. Okay. We've got Magneto. He just lifted the whole Golden Gate Bridge, moved it over here. We have this big fight, fight, fight. Pretty high body count in this movie. Extremely high. The, mag, the, the mutants have clearly shown on both sides that they're not necessarily to be trusted. And the movie ends and then boom. We don't know how long exactly has passed, but everything's hunky-dory and everybody's happy. And it's just like, hey, mutants are great. We love you guys. This is cool. And like everything seemed okay after we have this huge conflict with Jean gray, who's basically annihilating anyone and everything that gets close to her. And as soon as that's all done, everybody's just like, cool. There were, we're zero make, consequences. We're going to make the blue guy, our ambassador to the UN to show that we love mutants. What? I mean, look, excuse. I, uh, there are still issues with it, but at the very least I got to give, Kevin Feige and the MCU credit that they have taken steps to show that there is fallout from the actions of superpower people. Yeah. And in this, there were zero, I mean, nothing. And it just, yeah. it was such an abrupt change to go from stab Jean gray as she's annihilating everything close to her to now all of a sudden, boom, it's sunny. Everybody's happy. And you know, we're all holding hands and singing Kumbaya and shit. Warren Worthington is flying around San Francisco and everybody's just like, oh, wow, that's a boy with wings instead of being like, oh, my God, there's a person with wings. Like. And, and just earlier, me. they were freaking out about everything. I just. Mm, 
the ending was garbage and a mess in so many different ways, but well, but sadly, it's, like and you it said, felt like fun ways. It, it felt like they were really trying to put a bow on it. Like they were like, this is our last of our trilogy because this was back when that was what you made was a trilogy before they decided to start making quadrilogies and quintilogies and all of these, especially when they take book series and they're like that last book, two movies. We got it, baby more money. <laughs> but like, yep. It used to be trilogies. Trilogies was the thing, you know, like yep. that's just totally when I think, when I think of eighties, nineties and two thousands movies, it's trilogy times. And so clearly this is the final of a trilogy. It's called the last stand. Clearly this is supposed to be the last one for a while. And, uh, so I felt like they were just trying to like tie everything up neatly, but the pieces as they laid on the board at the 95% mark did not justify the bow tying at the hundred percent mark. Not at all. Not at all. So I, I don't know. Like I say, it was not as out and out bad as I thought it was going to be. Honestly, I wish it had been a little worse. Yes, because it would have been more fun. It would have been more fun if it was a little bit worse. Like I'm actually comparing this to what I remember about Dark Phoenix. I'm kind of looking forward to watching Dark Phoenix because in my head, and I could be proven wrong, but in my head, it goes that extra bit, that extra far to be like, you know, this is not just bad, but this is like, oh my gosh, how did people ever get paid to make this bad? (laughs) So now that sounds fun. I mean, that's how I remember feeling about our next film too. So we'll see. Yep. Me too. So I guess we'll see. But like I say, this mm, disappointing, you know, wet fart all around at the end of it. I just felt like I was a father. I mean, I am a father, but I felt like I was talking to one of my children and looking at them in the eyes with a downcast face and saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, that's a. It's very similar to how I felt about it. <laughs> it was, it, it wasn't bad enough to be memorable. And that no. is the most damning thing that I could say about it. Yep. hundred percent. Well, in a couple, four weeks or so, we're going to wrap around and, uh, we're going to take on one of the, uh, side dalliances with X-Men origins Wolverine. I haven't watched that movie in a long time. We're going to see again, can it move beyond the boring, bland, bad into the slightly delightfully bad section of, uh, of bad movies. We'll find out, but until I sure then, hope so. until then we appreciate everybody. Like we always say, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We would love to get uh, a review, uh, some comments, uh, rate it on iTunes. Uh, that's definitely one of the things that can help. If anybody's listening, drop a review, leave a rating, It does help move things up in the uh, visibility side of things. And if you've got any comments, questions, feedback, feedback at themiddleofculture.com will get you there. And uh, we'll we'll, uh, see your comments and, and we'll even go ahead and address them. We will answer any questions that are sent in. We'll answer them in a new, in a future podcast episode. I guess that's the end. I guess that's the end. That's just how we end it. We end it. Uh, disappointingly just like that no just kidding (laughs) (laughs) and of course we're gonna have to we're gonna have to leave this all in because yeah that's the thing is you get to the end of this movie and it's just like i mean i turned to my 12 year old and i was like so what'd you think and he kind of just looks at me he's like eh that was literally his response eh yeah yep same 
That's about right. So well, until next time. Honestly, talking about it was more fun than watching it by a tenfold. <laughs> yes, it was. So we'll be back in two weeks with something not quite so bad. Hopefully we're going to find out in just a bit, uh, maybe what we'll be talking about. And until then, thanks again for listening, everyone. Bye.